Hey everyone and welcome to the Sunigo One Piece podcast. On this episode we're going to be diving into episodes 254 through 256 which will be covering manga chapters 362 through 366. Wait, that was a mouthful. And yeah, things are starting to ramp up with an unlikely alliance put together to go after and rescue Robin and Frankie. Alrighty, so synopsis. Nami and Chopper need to get to both Luffy and Zoro to get them unstuck from their rather unfortunate predicaments before the Aqua Laguna hits in order to get going and save Robin. But with no way to cross the Aqua Laguna waters, the remaining Straw Hats have no way of catching up, but Kokoro and Iceberg reveal that there is another sea train. Alrighty, so differences. There's a lot of sort of extending and filler type uh, moments in here to sort of extend a little bit of time, but also there was some scene shuffling and reinsertion here. So yeah, I guess first off, when Nami is shown running towards Luffy, anytime there's a flashback, all of that is filler. None of that is actually in the manga. So there's a short scene with Spandam next in episode 254, which is moved up to when after the Aqua Laguna escape happens with Luffy and Nami, and then that scene with Spandam happens. However, in the manga, it actually happens much later after the reveal of Rocket Man. And so once that reveal happens, then we see Spandam. So it's just moved back, uh, or moved, yeah, moved forward, I guess, uh, one episode before we actually see that small scene with Spandam and um, his elephant funk freed. Another sequence that was extended quite a bit was the whole sequence with Chimney and Gombe needing to be saved. And in the anime, this is a much more dramatic thing that happens. And it's given way more focus where in the manga, it's played mostly for a joke and it's barely mentioned. You just basically see them kind of hanging off the side of the train. And then in the next few panels, you just see them back in the main train cabin so there's not really uh, this whole like saving thing and like this dramatic hanging off of the the train while the train is running towards the track and so yeah this scene is probably like almost several minutes longer than it really needed to be but it's not a bad scene or anything but ultimately it just serves to sort of pad out time speaking of filler scenes that were added the scenes with the train attendants those two bumbling guys um that was also added, especially that sequence with the binoculars where they're kind of fighting over the what they can see through the binoculars. That's all filler. And then we finally get the reinsertion of the final scenes with Frankie and Iceberg's flashback. And so that was reinserted after the Rocket Man leaves and they were reinserted back in here. And there's a bit of overlap too because we do see all the way back from sort of when Frankie first tries to get in contact with Iceberg, which we actually saw during the CP9 identity reveal at the Galila Company way back when, like in episodes like 230 something, like 238, I think. And so these fi- these scenes is are finally added back and we get the whole flashback finally. All right, let's move on to my thoughts on these episodes. So I think the first thing we have to mention about this episode and going forward is the voice actor for Chopper during this time has changed and it was at this point Ikue Otani the original voice actor for Chopper was pregnant and on maternity leave and so just like with Nami and Akimi Okumura as she was replaced temporarily during the Little Garden arc they got another actress to replace Ikue Otani during her maternity leave and 
Kazue Ikura fills in as Chopper for the next 10 episodes. While Ikura does an admirable job, there's just really no replacing the voice as unique and iconic as Ikue Otani's. I mean, there's a reason why she's the voice of Pikachu. And any role that she actually played. And if you were watching a lot of other series at the time, because Ikue Otani plays a lot of different characters in many different series. And so she was replaced in every single one of them. And there is a noticeable drop off. And yeah, you just can't really replace her voice. It's just so iconic and so unique. And yeah, I think Ikura does a good job of replacing Chopper, but it does sound really weird because it just doesn't come anywhere close to sort of that unique high pitch voice that that, um, Otani actually does for Chopper. And so yeah, it is definitely noticeable. Anyways, getting back to the actual content of the story... Nami, in an attempt to reach Luffy, makes an unbelievable jump from the steps to a rooftop. And in the anime, this sequence is very drawn out. As in the manga, it's just a couple panels. <laughs> One thing about this scene, though, is that jump is just absurd levels of crazy for a normal human like Nami. Like, I mean, I'd estimate she just jumped like 70 plus feet across and almost like a 20 foot vertical like it's just it's crazy how far she jumps in that in that one initial leap. But Nami does eventually reach the stuck Luffy and is clearly emotional and annoyed with Luffy as when he's needed most, Luffy's just lollygagging. She finally reveals in a very powerful scene how Robin sacrificed herself. Nami obviously feels a little bit of despair with the fact that Robin has left on the train, but it's not, and it's not looking good. However, juxtaposed to Nami's despair and anger, Luffy on the other hand Once he makes that realization that Robin was lying, he immediately changes the atmosphere with just a few lines by telling Nami, don't worry, we're not going to let Robin die. And even though he says, you know, this in a ridiculous way with his face smushed in, it's still amazing how just a few words from Luffy and his confidence instills in Nami and us a sense of calm and resoluteness that yes, we can get this done and save Robin. It's actually a really well done scene with how calm Nami is seen after Luffy says all of that. And yeah, I just really love just sort of the tonal shift that happens, not only in the scene in the anime, but also in the manga. It's just, yeah, it's very interesting, like how desperate and emotional Nami is before. And then once Luffy declares that, yes, they're not going to let Robin die, sort of that anxiety and and sort of the the chaos of the whole sequence just calms down incredible after like Luffy's confidence it's amazing how just a confident character or a person can really instill a sense of calm in everything we then cut to see what's going on with Chopper and Zoro as Chopper is unable to free Zoro out of the chimney Zoro senses Sandai Kitetsu which is the first time in a long while have we gotten reference to the swords having their own wills and particularly the Sandai Kitetsu being a cursed sword has a very unique aura to Zoro And I love that this comes back to actually play into the story here. Because we haven't really seen that since Logtown. But yeah, with the Aqua Laguna seconds away from hitting both of them, they need to get the hell out of there as an absurd wave bigger than the city itself is crashing down on them. Then we get a heart-pounding and fist-pumping moment with Luffy's main fanfare blaring as he musters all his strength to push apart the two buildings with just pure brute force. While Zoro, with his one free hand has Chopper give him the Kitetsu and performs the 36-pound cannon or 36-pound phoenix, whatever you want to call it, presumably with just his wrist to split the chimney and the building in half. Like, 
holy crap. I mean, they're both just insane in terms of raw power. And yeah, we're all for it. And this is definitely an exciting and hair-raising moment for sure. Like, I definitely get chills watching this moment every time. I think really what does it for me is the music. Like, sure, the action, I think when the manga, you read this, it's like a cool moment. But what really sets this scene apart is in the anime when you hear that music, the main, like, Luffy fanfare blaring. Like, that's what really sells this scene, I think. All four of them managed to escape the wave's initial crash, but the wave proves to be even greater than anyone thought, and it seemingly catches up to them even on the high ground, but it's Polly to the rescue as he's roped all four of them and drags them out of the water. But even that's not enough as they've got to keep running for even higher ground. <laughs> yeah, again, we get another one of the classic Chopper and Zoro gags as we see that Chopper has gripped Zoro's face in terror and suffocates him as they run away from the Aqua Laguna. <laughs> Zoro finally gets him off his face and apparently Chopper has passed out clutching Zoro's head. <laughs> oh man this whole gag just never gets old and i love how chopper is sort of already passed out but then as soon as chopper needs to say something he's just fine and then that particular episode we end on luffy's iconic fist clutch affirming that they're gonna go save robin and i love it when luffy does that fist clutch like it's 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 a sign that's like yes we are finally gonna get going here Luffy and the others obviously want to immediately go after Robin, but Polly refuses to let them go as the sea train is the only thing that even has a chance at overcoming the Aqua Laguna and tells them to wait till morning. But Nami interjects and tells us a little more about the NES lobby and she tells us about how it works. And she explains that the NES lobby leads to the gates of justice and once people pass through those gates, they never see the light of day as they are led to one of two places, the Marine Headquarters, or the impenetrable prison called the Impel Down. And this is the place that apparently the worst of the worst criminals get locked up and are never allowed to escape, ever. This obviously sets up the stakes and urgency of the need to get Robin as soon as possible before she gets to those gates. But Polly then brings up another good point. Should they even be able to get there, even with the perfect conditions, it would still mean that this would be a suicide mission going to the hub of the world government and picking a fight with them directly on their turf. Of course, we know Luffy's response is that he doesn't care and says that they'll go as far as to steal a ship with the wave perfectly timing with his epic assertion crashing up against the side embankment for like extra emphasis. Like, yeah, I mean, that's just extra badassery. And I love that Jiminy is like, even the waves are angry. <laughs> With both sides ready to sort of fight for each other's sort of survival or decision. But before that even turns into a brawl, Kokoro intervenes and talks some sense into Luffy and shocks everyone by teasing that there may actually be another sea train that Tom built. And we're all thinking like, what? But upon closer thinking, like at least for me at the time, I was like, yeah, I guess it stands to reason that the Puffing Tom wasn't the only one built as there must have been prototypes or other iterations that ultimately led to the Puffing Tom, but I'm sure the first train they built wasn't the the final train. And so yeah, it makes sense that there are other sea trains. But leaving us on this cliffhanger, we catch back up with Sanji as he tries to casually walk through a train car filled with government agents trying to play innocent and he actually makes it about halfway down the car before anyone even realizes that they probably should intervene. And after making quick work of everybody, since this car is the second to last car and it's literally just filled with like peon government agents 
Sanji takes them all out easily. But he discovers Usopp and Frankie at the front of that car. And I find it a pretty funny, and I always get a chuckle out of this, how Sanji pretends he doesn't know Usopp, but does it very unconvincingly and sar- sarcastically. And I love how Usopp kind of like picks up on that too. And he's like, sounds very sarcastic. And he also gets a kick in Frankie's face when he finds out that he is the one who beat up Usopp and <laughs> caused all that issue. But of course, Usopp now knowing the whole story and what Frankie is like, he tries to play peacemaker between the two now, which is a nice reversal, I think. Unfortunately, we don't really get to see much more of this scene yet. As we return back to Water 7, we see that Iceberg, already anticipating everything, has begun preparing and repairing the second sea train, dubbed the Rocket Man, which is so freaking awesome. And it turns out that there was another prototype sea train, but one that travels too fast and couldn't control its speed, so it was too rough for regular passenger travel, which is why it was dubbed a failure. And I've got to hand it to Oda for the design of this train. It looks so awesome and badass. I wouldn't expect anything less for a train that is supposed to deliver our heroes on a raid to the a place called the Gates of Justice, especially with the crazy cool shark head painted on it. And this is just my own headcanon, but I have to think that that was young Frankie's idea because I don't think Tom or Iceberg would have done that. And then just like the Chopper Zoro gag, uh, one of my favorite gags, the recurring gags that comes up, is the, especially when the pacing of the anime is absolute perfection, with Nami bringing the food and booze that she requested the train attendants earlier, Luffy starts to scold Nami for being late as they're in a rush, but then immediately (laughs) changes his tune and swiftly apologizes as he's already got like food in his mouth. Seriously, the timing and performance on this joke is done so well. I laugh no matter how many times I see this. And up till now, I also really want to mention how I love all the subtle hints that even after all they've been through, we still get to see small moments that Iceberg still cares greatly for Frankie as well as the other way around. And, you know, that Iceberg is still legitimately worried about him even though he won't show it much on the surface. And speaking of Frankie, in an odd twist of fate, we get the Frankie family showing up out of nowhere looking like they're here for a fight. But instead, they're desperate for the Straw Hats' help to save Frankie and want to join them and desperately pleads for their help. Even though everyone else is opposed to it, Luffy allows them to board. And again, we see a pretty inspirational scene of Luffy's ability to draw people to him and create allies out of thin air, or in this case, of previous enemies. This is a quality that Luffy will continue to grow as the series goes on, as I've mentioned in the past. And it's honestly like one of my favorite things about this whole series is seeing Luffy bring people together. With that, they set off with the Rocket Man off to save Robin. Luffy obviously has to take his normal seat on the head of the ship, even in, the, in a massive storm, going at what seems like over 100 miles an hour. On a side note, one thing I forgot to mention in the past is how Luffy calls Kokoro Monster Granny or Kaiju no Basan. It's nothing new for Luffy to call someone something Basan or something Osan. That that's something usually being a shortening of their actual name or some some defining physical feature of them. But I always felt like this one was a little too rude. <laughs> like, although she doesn't seem to mind, so I guess it's okay. But calling someone a kaiju boss <laughs> seems really mean. Anyways, as the Rocket Man prepares to align itself with the tracks, it's comically revealed that Chimney and Gombe stowed away on the train. And Luffy has to get them safely back in. 
Next, we cut to Iceberg as he flashes back, and we finally get to see the conclusion of Frankie's flashback. And this is honestly my favorite part of the flashback. Like I mentioned before, we were supposed to see this moment as part of Frankie's main flashback, but we got part of it even earlier during the CP9 reveal, but we finally get to see the full scene. And we mostly see the same scene up until the last bit after their argument and where our iceberg gives Frankie the plans to the Pluton. But this is a really emotional and powerful scene and one that I particularly always really liked and kind of gets me as well emotional. Because of the last few moments, we haven't seen yet, which is even after Iceberg still can't forgive Frankie for his part in everything that led to Tom being taken away, he still shows that not only does he trust Frankie to keep the plan safe and honor their late master's sacrifice, but the moment where he emotionally breaks down crying how happy he is that Frankie's still alive is an amazingly powerful moment. And especially how someone as strong as Iceberg, you know, who's pretty much up until now been a very emotionally stoic person, just breaking down and crying at the fact that his, you know, apprentice brother and friend is still alive despite everything that's gone between them. Back on the Rocket Man, after everyone is safe inside, it's revealed that the three remaining main shipwrights from the Galila Company, Polly, Lulu, and Tilestone, also are somehow on the train too to get some closure on Luchi, Kaku, and Khalifa's betrayal. And it makes it seem like Lulu and Tilestone confidently have a handle on what the real situation is but when Polly tells them they're shocked beyond belief which is a pretty funny little moment but what makes this joke super funny and random is the fact that the Lulu and Tilestone's original theory was that this was all the doing of some back alley guys named Michael and Hoikel and <laughs> just Polly's like as well as us we're like who the hell are those people and it's just so random that the this is the part of the gag that always gets me to laugh every time. Because the part where they get shocked, I can totally see that. And it's drawn pretty funny. But the fact that Oda adds in this sort of random element of the fact that they think it's some guy's name, Michael and Hoikel. Like, first of all, Michael's such a plain name. And then Hoikel isn't even really a name. It's just Michael with the H. And yeah, everything about this is just so nonsense. But it's hilarious to me every time. And like I alluded to earlier, at the end of the episode, we get one of the best and my favorite Luffy classic abilities of rallying different groups together to work together on his side. And, you know, one of his amazing superpowers and quite possibly his best superpower as he just rallies two rival groups that up until a few, you know, half a day ago, they were trying to go after him. And now they're firmly on his side as Luffy creates an alliance between the Straw Hats, the Galila Company, and the Frankie family. And much like he was able to do in Skypiea with the Shandians and Skypians, Luffy just has this sort of innate ability to attract people and ha have them all work with him. And that closes these sets of episodes, but I wanted to talk about the new ending theme here. So... I, many of you probably who are watching through either Funimation or Crunchyroll through the Western uh, localization won't actually get to see this ending theme. So with the original Japanese broadcast, we got a new ending at the end of episode 256. But yeah, it's just for some reason left out of the Western localization. And it, the ending theme remains Dear Friends and it continues all the way um, to some episode I can't remember. Presumably this is also due to music and licensing rights issues. Although I couldn't really find any concrete evidence that this was in fact the reason this time as I did with Mirai Kokai. 
However, for episodes 256 through 263 in the original Japanese broadcast, we got Asua Kurukara, which translates to Tomorrow Will Come, performed by the K pop group Toho Shinki as they're referred to in Japan, or more widely known as they're referred to as TVXK. They will also eventually go on to perform a couple openings later on in the series as well. But yeah, this song is very Robin centric as the animation depicts Robin alone and shows her sadness and pain as a child, but by the end, she awakes to the sight of being surrounded by her family, the Straw Hats. And it's actually a really beautiful ending and certainly one of my favorites, especially the part where it's just a young Robin walking all alone with the silhouettes of the Straw Hats just off in the distance alongside her. And the lyrics match up really well with Robin's journey and arc. As she is in this sort of impossible situation heading into a tough road ahead, but with the help of those loved ones around her, the Straw Hats, there is a better tomorrow promised to come. And yeah, I really like that theme.、Uh, and this song is just absolutely beautiful. I, yeah, I used to love listening to this song anytime I felt like I was sad or, or it's sort of emotional, as embarrassing as that kind of sounds. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed this song、uh, when it originally aired. And I listen to this a lot,、um, which is not normal for me because I definitely prefer the much more upbeat ending themes as well as the opening themes. So, having this really mellow and sort of ballad like end,、um, song was something that was different for me, but I just really like this song. It, it's just, yeah, there's, it just evokes a lot of like emotion. Anywho, while this technically isn't the official end of the Water 7 arc, this pretty much concludes our time on Water 7 for now. And we are firmly moving on to the next portion of the story as everyone is now headed to the dreaded NES lobby. And since this seems like a good dividing point, the next podcast I'm going to take a slight detour as this is around the time the next cover story had wrapped up in the manga. So I'll be covering Gedatsu's cover story in the next podcast here. But yeah, if you did enjoy this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Also, feel free to check out my Instagram and Twitter account at SunnyGoPodcast if you want updates of when I post new episodes or see some pictures. And as always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. There will be like a really short spoiler section. I just had like one or two comments. But yeah, if you're not interested in any of those, stay safe out there. And I hope to see you on the next episode. Bye. Alright, so spoiler section. Really, I just wanted to kind of talk about Luffy's sort of ability to gather people around him and just his sort of magnetic personality. Because, yeah, this is like the first time he creates sort of an official alliance between three very distinctly different groups of people. And this would come, you know, become a sort of trope or a staple of One Piece's arcs where Luffy eventually starts to. Gather like different groups of people and create alliances. I mean, we see that here with NES Lobby. With not only do we start off with the Frankie family and the Galila company, but then you know, we, we obviously get the some of the Marines joining him with、um, Oimo and Kashi, the giants joining Luffy. Although that was more due to Usopp's you know, help, but you know, he still rallies a bunch of people around him. And then obviously, the, the big one, you know, we get the mention of the Impel Downs for the first time here in the series. But obviously, when Luffy gets sent to Impel Down, 
he gets a whole bunch of people to join him. Not only does he get, you know, Ivankov, but the other villains in the past, you know, with Mr. Three, Buggy, and especially Mr. One and Crocodile even on his side. And so not only that, but then as the Marine Ford, you know, Summit War continues, he eventually gets the entire Whitebeard crew to be on his side as well. And so, yeah, Luffy has this sort of magnetic personality. And it again happens later on in Punk Hazard with the G5 Marines, as well as Law and the Heart Pirates, all kind of like rallying around him to basically, you know, the these are all dry runs for um, Dress Rosa and Wano. I mean, obviously, Dress Rosa was huge in terms of like Luffy drawing in different groups of people. To the point where by the end of that arc, we get the Straw Hat Grand Fleet combined together. And then obviously, in currently in Wano, we get the huge raid. And we have the samurais, the pirates, as well as all the warriors of Wano. As, as well as, you know, the heart pirates and the kid pirates all joining together to raid Onigashima. And yeah, it's, it is a very common thing that happens in almost every arc of One Piece. And... You have to imagine that by the end of the series, there's going to be a point where all of these players come back as well as past, you know, allies as well. And yeah, I think it's going to be pretty awesome to see that if it it ever happens. I mean, not if, when it happens, because we all know it's going to happen. And even Oda has teased it in past um, interviews saying that the final war slash battle is like dwarfs everything that happened in Marineford. At least that's what he's depicted in some of his past interviews. So I got to imagine that it's going to be like an all out, like recall of all of Luffy's past allies. But anyways, that's all I really wanted to mention about this, uh, these three episodes. So yeah, thank you for listening and I will catch you on the next episode. See ya. See ya.